What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On this episode of the Hockey IQ podcast is part two of Doug Revac, my brother. We're getting into specifics on goalies. If you haven't heard the first one, uh, also dive into that one. It's real fun. A lot of good stories and just good times overall and, and seeing his journey from youth to AAA and beyond. So really excited to share this one. Let's talk some goaltending. I feel like a lot of goalies do this and, you know, once you've kind of done with your competitive career, it seems like a lot of goalies are done stopping pucks and they just want to score goals. So, you know, I remember going to alumni games and Doug Revac was not in net unless he had to be in net. you know, what, what's, what's the reason of this? I'm, I'm curious of why so many goalies just give up the position and are like, I want to be a goal scorer and, and they're phenomenal goal scorers. So they know exactly what to do. Uh, (laughs) I do like to score goals. It's, I think, (laughs) I think it's multiple things, but like when you've been scored on your entire life, like the last, you know, you just want to score some goals, you know, you're kind of sick of being that, but also on a more serious note, it's like, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I didn't play at all that high of a level, but a high enough level that I can't just pick it up and, and be exactly how I was, um, when I was playing. So I think it's more of like a frustration thing. And I, you know, I'm a, as you know, a pretty competitive guy uh, over the years. So I think that's like the biggest frustration is just like getting back in the net and not being able to do some of the things that I used to do um, in the crease. And that's really like the biggest thing uh, for me is just, you know, knowing, knowing what to do, knowing that I've had, ha- that I have done it and not being able to do it at that moment is the biggest frustration. So it's way more fun, way more fun to be on your line and just sit on the back door and tap in pucks and, and score goals rather than, you know, keep getting hit in the head and ears ringing. And uh, I'd rather score some goals rather than that. Yeah. I feel the same way with like, you know, I never had a strong shot, but you know, sitting at a desk and having a desk job for the last, you know, seven to almost 10 years now, like I got a muffin, like I can't score like I used to. So like, Oh, suddenly I'm, you know, playing more defense, you know, uh, you know, you move away and I pick up your goalie pads and now I'm in the net. It's like that extra challenge. Cause you're not at your peak performance anymore. Like things go as I a hundred percent feel that it's the same way. Like, more defense, more, you know, I put on the pads and play goalie and, you know, C league or D league, whatever. Like it's fun. You know, it's, it's, I, the one thing about goaltending I really do enjoy is that F U energy of like, when you make that glove save that you really probably shouldn't have like, Oh man, I'm not sure there's anything like I I've scored some nice overtime goals and been hyped up, but I don't know, even in just like pick up that, that one save where you're like, boom, gotcha. Nothing better. 
that is the best, and especially when it's against your brother. I love making those are my favorite saves, whether they were in uh, you know practice or alumni games. I still enjoy making those saves. But you got to remember, I was you know even when I was in net growing up, I would play summer league. So I've been I've been curating this skill set as a forward uh, for a long, long time. It wasn't just post post goaltending career. I would you know I would do it as much as I could in the summer. So I don't know where you think I got this bearing ability, but it, it didn't happen overnight. Well, the great thing of actually putting the pads on myself later in life was like, now I know the exact push of like, Oh, I can throw a puck underneath this pad right here. Like, like I know how the goalie moves and no matter what, like I gotcha. Yeah. yeah that's, that's actually, actually a great, great point. Uh, there was, there's one move that's in the NHL right now that I see a lot. Um, that's a direct kind of, you, when you bring that up, it really comes to mind. And it's the move, you know, if you're a left-hander going against a normal, you know, left-catching goaltender and you come down uh, to the goaltender's blocker side and come in and, you, you you know, you make a slight move towards towards the middle and you basically wait for them to start their push and then throw it in between their stick and their right skate. Um, and when you're a goalie, you really recognize how hard that is you know, to get your pad down because, you know, when you're making that push with that skate, you know, your pad is on its way down, but it's not there quite yet. And it's really difficult to, you know, really put your, put your pad, you know, straight to the ice versus the other one, because, you know, you're, you're using that as your push leg. So I think that's one, when you're a goaltender, you realize how difficult that one is to stop. And it, it looks ridiculous uh today when you see it you're like why didn't that guy just like go down in his butterfly and it's not that easy because you know he's using that as this push leg he's starting his movement um but when you are in the net you i think i think that's one that you you develop appreciation for and understand that how vulnerable that is oh yeah and i've tweeted out about that and have video clips of that like it's it's something i mean obviously i picked it up earlier in life than actually putting the pads on but like that's a, that's a massive one. It's just pretty much impossible, which is being a righty. I was so disappointed. Like I really don't have that. Cause a lot of guys trail their stick when they're coming from that glove side going to the other way. So it's, it's really not open, but like I can think of like Kyle Connors probably scored like seven or eight goals in the past two seasons with that exact move. And sometimes it's on a breakaway. Sometimes it's just in zone play. Like it's a hard, hard save to make for goalies. But uh, I think from a shooting perspective, understanding the, plant foot and which ones they have to push with versus that leading leg like you can throw that leg down early when you're leading into it but that push leg like it's coming down when it's coming down you can work a little bit on driving knees and that's i know that's a big thing like mitch corn's huge on uh is really like driving those knees down but it's such a difficult save especially for new goalies and even guys in the nhl we've seen it over and over again so i'm, I'm curious maybe some other things that you've picked up on uh, just with the pros, things that they do, vulnerabilities they have, or just goaltending in general here? You know, a few things come to mind. I, it's, I think post play is the biggest one, right? I think that's the biggest one of, of conversation and probably the one that I'm most opinionated on. And, you know, I think back to Jonathan Quick, you know, when he started to use the reverse VH. I mean, really in the NHL, he was kind of the pioneer of that and was just so dynamic coming off of his post. And I think before that, you know, in the normal VH, there were so many vulnerabilities with that one, you know, biggest one being kind of movement out, out of that position. 
you know, it was fine for really in tight plays where, you know, knew a shot was coming. But as soon as you went back door, it's a very awkward movement um, from a physical perspective to push off of a completely vertical leg. Um, so I think it was revolutionary what Jonathan Quick, you know, was able to do. And um, a bunch of guys, you know, followed him. Yeah, like even when I remember getting into net for the first time and like doing the, you know, I knew the RVH versus the VH and, you know, I was testing around with it. But like if that leg is perfectly vertical, like square to that post, it's like impossible to do anything fast. Like you have to cheat a little bit off it. And then there's that hole. And now you're kind of getting picked. Like it's tough or like a jam play where like you like there's a guy back door, like, you know, you need to move. And now, you know, you've got that five holes. Like that's kind of tough. Uh, and for the listeners, you know, RVH means and the VH versus RVH is basically vertical and horizontal. So vertical is that, that leg is straight up and down, uh, horizontal it's flat, like in a butterfly. So like how we're talking about it. So if we're saying VH, that post leg is vertical. The other one is going to be down. RVH is the reverse of that. You've got the butterfly leg close to the post, the other legs more up. So interesting way of going about it but it's really tough yeah and i think i think i learned about i really showed like you said i it's really an awkward movement coming out of the vh um with your leg totally up against the post and i struggled with that and i got absolutely toasted so many times and was very frustrated with that movement but it was kind of the the mainstream movement at the time and, and how you were you know supposed to play on the post and then you know i remember you know, working with Dave Marlin one summer out in Philadelphia and he had a guest coach goalie coach who was an NHL guy at the time worked for the blues and his name was Corey Hirsch, um, which was a big name goalie coach. And, you know, was unfortunately the, uh, the recipient of the fours, the, the original Forsberg move when he was playing, when he was playing for, uh, from team Canada. And I think 1994, 94 little hammer. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Corey Hirsch was the, was the goalie coach of the St. Louis Blues and he had a relationship with, with Dave Marlin, um, and came out to a camp and he was, he was the one that really, you know, I had seen quick and, and some of the other NHL guys do it in the past. And he was the one that really sat down and, and taught it, um, from a technical perspective. And, and that was a game changer for me. You know, I think, I think it was just such a such way more dynamic coming off the post and I mentioned it a couple of times, but you know, a lot of goaltending is just probabilities and putting yourself in the best position possible to make the save. And sometimes you get toasted and, and, you know, hopefully a lot of times you make the save. And, you know, this was a movement that I felt like drastically improved the probability of, of making saves, um, you know, on the post and moving off the post for backdoor plays or out front plays. And, and Corey Hirsch was really the one that sat down and was, the one that really taught me um, how to properly use that post. And it's such an awkward one at first, right? Like anybody that's been in the net uh, and, and has tried that movement at first, like it's super awkward and you have absolutely no power until you figure out exactly how to do it and what works for your body. Um, and then it becomes an absolute asset. Well, I think that's kind of like the, the new, if you're, if you're on the cutting edge of talking goaltending these days, you know, in goal magazine, you know, I'll give a shout out to them. I think it's great. And we've had Kevin Woodley on the podcast in the past, like how you play the post is so vital because you're coming in and out of it so often. And then what's the perfect scenario in each one? Like when should you use VH versus an RVH, 
And like, that's massive, massive, massive. And everyone's going like RVH fails. And it's like, was it really, I mean, that might've been the best thing at the time. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, on two, on two points there, you know, number one, it post play is so key because if you really think about it, like the most dangerous, um, part of the ice is the middle of the ice. Right. And so you, teams defensively are trying to take, take away the middle of the ice as much as possible and keep guys to the outside. So where's most of the play come from the outside, which is, you know, on the post or, or darn near close to the post. And so I think that's why it's so key um, because a lot of the play is out there. Right. Um, so I, and, and second, second point is you see a lot of criticism when guys get beat, they're in the reverse VH and maybe they get, get beat high or, or, or somewhere else. And, and you say, Oh, why don't, why don't you just stand there? And it would have hit you. Um, and I think that's like the complete wrong way to look at it. Right. Because again, thinking about it from, from a statistic standpoint, most of the time you're in the right position. It's just the one time that something happened that you got beat and everyone, you know, it, it's more glaring and everyone hops on you for it. But, but most of the time that was the right decision. And, you know, we talk about it all the time of, uh, you know, did you make the right decision to get the wrong result or did you make the wrong decision to get the right result? And, uh, and, and, and that uh, sort of thing. So I, I think post play is so key and um, guys get criticized for it because, you know, quote unquote, they're letting bad goals from, from the side, but, you know, nine times out of 10, they're making the right decision. It's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, I was clipping RVH failed like bad timing, like should be on your feet here, blah, blah, blah. And I, I forget what it was. And I, I think it was last playoffs. I tweeted out about this, but basically like someone got beat from weird angle behind the net. Like it bounced off them because they weren't in the RVH and they were standing up and it went off their opposite skate or off their knee or something like that. And it's like, well, maybe he should have been down there. And, you know, but I, and it, was, it was weird because I think it was the game. It was like a few games prior, he got beat with a bad RVH. So you're like, you probably had a conversation with the coach. The coach was mad. The goalie coach, you know, was like, okay, well, we got to change this for the coach. And then he gets burned on something that was like, okay, if he would have kept what he had been doing, he would have been just fine. And you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like, you got to choose. No, and I think that's totally right. And you know, I like, I see it all the time when I watch NHL games. And, you know, the thing I think about is like, you know, for old school coaches, they're like, well, why didn't you just stay in your feet and stand there? It's, it's, you know, a low angle play. It's like, well, you know, a lot of times guys are making passes out front, there's tip plays. And a lot of the stuff that comes in is kind of on the lower end uh, of the net. And if you're just standing there, there's a ton of holes, right? But if you're in that reverse VH, you're, you know, taking away angles down low, you're sealing holes. And so you're guarding against a lot of those in type plays, you know, whether it goes off of skates, um, you know, your defenseman skate or someone else's skate, someone else's stick in tight, you know, you're guarding against a lot of that where if you just stood there, you'd have no chance. Um, so I, I think it's a total, total misnomer. Um, it's, it's kind of more old school type thought. Um, but if you really, if you really break it down, like what, what the goaltenders in the NHL are doing, like they're, they're just trying to put themselves in the best position to make saves. And that comes to like, how do you quantify or like, that's the most impossible thing. Like how many coaches don't know goaltending for Jack squad and, you know, they just want the saves. Right. And it's like, how do you quantify to that coach? Like how many saves you're now making because you're able to move off the post because of an RVH or something like that. Like you're stopping more. Yeah. You let in one bad goal, but you've just saved, you know, seven or eight ones that you normally wouldn't have gotten. Like 
Ian Clark, classic example with Bobrovsky, like transformed the guy. And it went from, you know, maybe there's a soft one here and there, but then he's making how many unbelievable saves and boom, now he's getting a $10 million paycheck per year from the Florida Panthers. 0% state tax. Love it. So that's pretty awesome. Um, one thing I did want to talk about from a technical standpoint on goaltending here uh, is moving on your feet. Like that's a big thing I hear right now is to make sure if you can get to your feet, get your feet as a goalie. You know, why is that a big thing? And it's something I see a ton of at the youth levels is guys moving down in the butterfly and then getting to their feet once they hit their spot. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and I mean, to, to really put it simply, the play just moves so fast and, um, you, and, you know, it's much quicker and more efficient to be on your feet and, and, you know, make safe selections from your feet. And I think, I think guys at, uh, lower levels like to slide around in their crease, um, you know, which is good in some scenarios, but, you know, your, your baseline kind of default should always be to be on your feet for as long as possible. And for me, it just seems a lot sloppier when you're moving on your feet. You can be a lot more precise on that. Yeah, I mean, it's a more controlled movement, right? Um, you know, you can control your upper body more while you're on your feet versus the lower body. Your your hands are swinging, your stick is swinging, um, and it really takes a lot more precision when you're sliding around to, you know, get your head turned in the right direction to make a quick movement to the other side versus you know, when you're on your feet, you're able to make those sort of quick, uh, quick movements. And, and as the play, you know, moves from, you know, across the ice, um, as it does more so now than ever, you know, it's, it's much more efficient to move from your feet into safe selections rather than, you know, sliding around. Yeah. It, yeah. It's definitely something, and I don't know if it has something to do with laziness, but the goalies that I've coached that, you would put maybe on more of the lazy side seem to slide around more. Like you can tell like someone's a really hard worker and really has a determination to put themselves in good spots if they move more on their feet. Now that's a huge blanket statement. So it's not hundred percent true, but from a tendency standpoint, as a coaching standpoint, that's what I've seen so far is like, if you just basically stay on your knees the entire time and move around, even if the pucks of the point, like 90% of the time you're either one dead tired and we got problems there or, you're being lazy on the puck and now we really got problems. <laughs> yeah. You're either lazy, but no, I mean, it's, I honestly, I think it's more of like a compensation. They're just not confident moving on their feet. Um, which I think is absolutely essential for any goaltenders to be, you know, an unbelievable skater in the net and be able to move in a crisp manager manner. And the game moves so quickly, you know, especially as you move up levels, it's it's really difficult to make saves as you're sliding around and it you know you were talking about Saros and he's the absolute best example of a guy that stays on his feet for as long as possible and even if he's down tries to get back to his feet um to to you know read the play and, and make decisions from there I think for any young goaltender who's you know learning how to slide um it, it's so key to understand when to use those, those movements and when to, you know, stay on your feet. Um, because I, as you, as you move up, you know, you don't have as much time. And I think, you know, moving from your feet is a much quicker way to move rather than, you know, doing a lateral adjustment. So 
you know, if you're on a two on one, pass goes to the one side, you slide and pass goes back to the other side, right? It's a much more slow, um, laborious movement to make the adjustment, you know, while you're down in your knees versus like a quick T push to a quick T push, right? And so, you know, goalies get exposed as they move up into higher levels and they learn. Um, but it's such a key. And, and you watch any great NHL goaltender and his movements, it's all small, small movements on his feet. Yeah, it's like, like that beautiful goaltending. Every single shot ends with a puck hitting your chest or right in the webbing of, of your glove because you've already set it up. And, and on a somewhat of a separate note, but just talking about higher level goaltenders, one of the things that I realized, and you know, I don't know how much re- you probably know more on the, on the research side, but one of the things I realized as I got older and started really paying attention to high level goaltenders was, you know, at, at a certain point, like you're big enough to cover a lot of the net. And what I realized was a lot of the goaltenders would, you know, goals would go in kind of through them and rather than around them. Um, and so I think even as what you want to call it, smaller guys, bigger guys, I think a lot of goals for a variety of reasons, um, speed, you know, tips, you know, shot locations, whatever. I think a lot of goals go in kind of around or through you versus around you. And so I think as you go up in levels, one of the key things to really pay attention to is, is sealing kind of the inside of the net outward versus, you know, looking for those kind of off the post in snipe shots, right? Cause most of the plays are coming in towards the middle of the net. And if you can cover those up, you're going to, you're going to, uh, you know, save a lot more pucks versus thinking about the, you know, two out of 10 shots that are going to ring off the post and in versus the eight out of 10 that are coming more through the middle, getting tipped by sticks, getting tipped by skates or whatever, and sealing up and being so solid on pucks that are like in and around your body, your arms. Yeah. I, so I've had a few conversations with Mitch Korn and I've been lucky enough to, to know someone who's a good friend with Mitch. So I've had some access to him that maybe others haven't, but like even in those short brief conversations, like that was one of the things he brought up with his goalies. And like, anytime I watch a goal that goes and you don't, you don't, if you've seen someone who's worked with Mitch Korn for a while, you know, they, never get scored through them it's always around them uh so anytime, anytime I, see I see a new goalie where a puck goes, goes through, through i'm like "Ooh, him and mitch are gonna have a fun conversation tomorrow in the video room like that's gonna be rough you know it's it's the whole thing of never through you always around or above you yeah that's a that's a great point mitch is obviously like the king and you know he's got a lot of notable goaltenders, but in my view, one of the goaltenders that he uh, had the biggest impact on and, and transformed the most was Philip Grubauer. And maybe not the guy you think of when you think of Mitch Korn, but Grubauer was the guy that came out of the O and was, was a talent and, and very dynamic. But when he got to Washington, you know, and sat behind Holtby for a while, like you really saw his game tighten up and become a lot more crisp and efficient. And then, you know, when he went to Colorado, you know, a lot of a lot of people were saying like, oh, I don't know if he's a starter. I don't know if he's at that level. And then obviously he proved you wrong. Right. Um, but if you look back when he came into the NHL to what his style and, and how he played in the net versus when he got to Colorado after being with Mitch a few years. I mean, what a drastic change. And like I said, not maybe not the most like notable guy that Mitch has ever worked with. But in my view, 
you know, he's one of the guys that a lot of Mitch's philosophies, um, you know, he was able to implement in his game and really transformed his career. Well, you just think about pretty much all of the backup goalies. They're like, if you're a backup goalie on a team that Mitch Korn's a part of, like you've got the best education ever. Like I think about all of those guys that went through Washington, uh, Phoenix Copley, Grubauer, uh, even like Justin Peters is really solid. Uh, Holtby hasn't been the same since he left. Um, I'm missing guys. There's two other good ones that were really nice guys out, out of there or just anything like, and it's the same thing. Like, you see that they're so solid. They take away all of the obvious things. You don't see many bad goals. And he just, oh, exactly what you said, like tightens them up. It's like, I feel like it's Mitch Korn, Alaire's like the two big goalie coaches that should be in the Hall of Fame. And there's a bunch of other good ones out there. But those guys, you know, they say pretty much the exact same thing. I mean, look at Mark andre Fleur working with Alaire for 20-plus years now. Like, you never score through him. You know, the elbows are solid. They're tight. You got to go around them. You got to, it takes a lot to, to beat them because you can't just give a shot and be like, oh, here's how they're going to react because they're already that they're already two steps ahead of you because they've got such great fundamentals. They've been there um, and have had good tools. So no, that, that's awesome. I, I got one other question about uh, the game here because I think that of all the goalies I've ever been against, again, I've played against some D1, some pro guys and pick up hockey and some summer stuff. But like, there's no better breakaway goalie than Doug Reback. Like for my money, no one's better. Like, what are you doing back there? Because it's so frustrating. Like I'm better off, you know, shooting a muffin from the top of the circles through a screen than going on a breakaway. (laughs) Uh, I let in plenty of bad goals from far out uh, to compensate for some of my breakaway success. But, uh, yeah, no, never, never lost a shootout in my life, um, which is kind of crazy. Not that I've been in it a ton, but yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it was, um, but I just really enjoy kind of the the one on one scenario and, and being able to make a difference. And um, I, like I said, as you know, I'm super competitive, and that's like kind of the most the situation that you can be most competitive in is just you know me versus you, and and I'm gonna try and win. Um, so I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, some guys succumb to the pressure and, and when the pressure's on, um, you know, they crumble or maybe their game fails in, in certain scenarios. But for me, I always really enjoyed the pressure and, and try to embrace it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the most, it's, it's, there's pressure and you're nervous because it's like the most meaningful moments. Um, and, this, you know, for those, it was always so fun and, and I really enjoyed kind of that pressure. And it, for me, you know, in many walks of life, but specifically hockey in those moments, it was, as the pressure got mounted, I just got more focused and, you know, for other people, it's, it's the opposite, but for me, I just kind of locked in, um, you know, and I, and I thought about, I had a friend uh, most recently who's a golf golf guy and he went really far in the U S mid amp. And we were talking about, he made actually made it to the final four, which was absolutely incredible. It was a long shot. And, uh, you know, guys in the office were talking and, you know, they were like, oh, I would have crumbled under the pressure and I don't know how he's doing. And, and, you know, in my mind, I was kind of saying to myself, like, I know exactly how he's doing. Like he just absolutely locked in, wasn't really thinking about anything on the outside world. Like he was just so focused on what he was doing and every single swing and every single shot that he was making. And that was kind of like my approach 
during those moments, it was just, you know, I was, I was just so locked in. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was just thinking about the guy that was coming down on me and, and was able to lock in. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was any specific like physical attributes, but it was just more of like a mindset of, you know, enjoying those moments and, and being so focused on what I was doing. Well, it's kind of coming back to that mindset of being excited and being anxious are the exact same emotion. It's just what lens do you see it through? Like I get excited. Like me and you are both guys that we handle pressure very well. I don't know if it was dad or mom or whatever was in our upbringing, but like we definitely saw the opportunity to make a difference and love the moment. Well, we'll see on my best man speech tomorrow how how uh, how nervous I am under pressure, but uh, I think I'll be all right. Unbelievable! This guy, this guy is is cool. Is he could make he could sell ice to the guys making igloos? You know, like unbelievable. So he'll he'll be just fine. So I'm curious though on your process of handling a breakaway. Do you want to get depth? I mean, I've seen a lot of NHL goalies have stopped getting depth now on breakaways and more just kind of stand there and just a little swivel. And then, you know, you've got the olden days, even think back to the mighty ducks with Conway, like the Iceland goalie literally like almost came out to the blue line before coming on back and getting that backward momentum, you know, like what, what's a Doug Revac process? <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a good one. I think, you know, I, I remember watching guys in the NHL uh, when I was really keyed in on the different type of goalies and, and the ones that were great. You know, I think back to guys like Henrik Lundqvist and Roberto Luongo, phenomenal goaltenders, Hall of Fame goaltenders, but they were, they sucked at the shootout. Like they, you, you get into a shootout and as good as they were, like I would choose the other guy because they, they were generally guys that played deep, you know, didn't have a lot of speed or, or mobility. Um, you know, uber talented guys, but just the shootout wasn't really made for their type of game. And I think, you know, for me, I really tried to, uh, one, you know, match speed, um, and really, you know, think about the type of moves that could come from the pace that the guy at me is coming at. And, you know, whether that was really quick and maybe I had to play a little bit deep because I knew he could get around me quick. Or if a guy was coming a little bit slower, you know, come out a little bit more, match his speed, you know, let him make the first move and be patient. But, I, but you know, I think about how some of those other guys that, you know, if you stay deep all the time, it's, you know, very predictable. And that was one thing that I didn't want to be was predictable. So, you know, you pick up things over time to just, you know, I, I always think about being dynamic. And that's, that's a word that I always thought about was being dynamic and not predictable. You know, so whether you throw in a fake poke check or, you know, you give the glove side and then take it away, you know, wherever it is, I think the more that you can change up and make the shooter think about what they're doing, um, the better versus saying, oh, I'm going out on a goaltender. Here's this tendency. I kind of know how to beat them. You know, I wanted the I wanted the shooter to be like, I don't know what this goaltender is going to do. I've seen him do 10 different things. I don't know what I'm going to get this one. So, you know, those were just little competitive advantages that I tried to that I try to implement in the game, you know, my favorite was definitely the, the fake poke check. Yeah. That was the most frustrating part is like, I've seen you a million times, you know, being your brother, like I've been on a million breakaways since, you know, we were seven and four, like it's been there, done that. And every time I'm like, I that was general framework, but at the same time, like he'll play it slightly different, you know, like sometimes he's going to come out really far. Sometimes he's back a little bit. So he's like, it's that mono mono mindset i think you had that you know 
I, I did the exact same thing with goalies and it was kind of weird having someone actually give it back to you as, as a shooter, like actually playing that gamesmanship. Cause I feel like most goalies are so ritual based that it's very easy to understand kind of what you're going to get and how to beat it. Like now I'm playing men's league. Like it's relatively easy. Like if I get a breakaway, not that I can't cause I don't have the wheels anymore, but like I know what I'm going to do and have the idea to beat them. Like, does a guy get really explosive and open the five hole? Does a guy sit back and you go around? I'm like, it's not that hard, but then you get random Doug Revax out there in the world that really mess with your head. And you're like, ah, this, this stinks. Like now I kind of have to like just go and dictate on what I'm good at rather than being able to really read the goalie and be like, okay, I got you here. Yeah. I mean, the more thinking that you can make the opposition do the better, right? Like make them uncomfortable, make them indecisive. Um, because the best shootout guys are very decisive. They know exactly like what they're going to do. And the, the guys that panic on shootouts are the ones that are saying to themselves, like, I don't know what move I'm going to do. Cause I don't know what he's going to do. Um, and then you just, you know, end up, you know, <laughs> throwing a, a, a weak, uh, shot in there. So I, I think the, the unpredictability of, you know, from both sides, really from shooter, from goaltender the more unpredictable you can be, the more success that you're going to have in those sort of situations. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't have said it any better. Covered a lot of ground here. And obviously we, we, we can probably have a second and third uh, conversation. You and I have talked for many hours, but I'm curious, anything that you want to bring up, you know, that I haven't touched on. I mean, you, you know, my knowledge better than anyone. Well, I, I don't know if there's anything in particular I want to touch on uh, from the framework of your podcast, but, you know, don't want to downplay. I, I don't know if you've ever tooted your own horn, but there's someone here that's watched you for a long, long time. And um, I will be the one to, to toot your horn. But, uh, you know, it was always fun watching you. I think a lot of the things that we talked about today, you had in your game unpredictability and, and doing things a little bit different. Most notably, the uh, the Greg Reback signature move of a fake drop pass that, you know, you were the first one I've ever seen doing it, do it. And I don't know if I've ever seen, you know, many players do it since. Um, but you had you had a great game and, and were super smart in the way that you, you played and, you know, sort of moves like that kind of separated you from the pack. So I, you know, I, nothing that I really want to bring up, but, but do want to toot your horn while I have the opportunity, um, you know, having known you for my entire life. I appreciate that. And I, I will claim to be the originator because I hadn't seen it and I just came to me one day and I've never seen it. I haven't seen the NHL or any other level, but I'll, I'll play by play this real quick for, for the listeners here. Basically, I love to use this move when you're dragging up a defense when you're basically coming from the corner, you're working up the elbow there, um, working up the, the half wall into the elbow of the top of the circle there. And at that time, you've, you're usually dragging a defenseman with you. You got a winger there, and then you've got your defenseman. So there's like this mini two-on-two -two playing out, right? And it's a perfect situation where a defenseman can dive down or you can go around and give them that drop pass as you're trying to, like, take guys with you. Well, you know, as you age, like, guys understand this, players understand this. So what I do is I would throw a backhander into my right skate so you would think that it's a drop pass and it's going to the, the other guy and I would kick that puck right back up. And guys had even seen it before and I've done it on before. It was hilarious how they would still fall for it. Like you feel like you just, your reactions automatically go to where the puck is. So you would 
do the fake drop pass. Both of those guys go with this D at the far point and you're just coming down the slot with a, you know, really nice shot or you fake the shot and go back door for an easy tap in. Uh, I, I know the Sedins did one where they kind of just like wave their stick over it, but I've never seen anyone kind of put it in their skate uh, similar maybe to a pop that Pavel Bure uh, goal where he dropped it into skate, kicked it up and, and went from there. So uh, I will, I will, t- I will, t- I love the fake drop pass. I'm hoping to, to uh, send that to someone here soon in the NHL and see it be done. Cause I, I think it's super effective and had a ton of success. Uh, I think it's only been stopped once, but uh, he had seen it probably four or five times in practice before that actually happened and uh, came across him in a college game. So that, that was, that was fun. So I appreciate the, the kind words. Uh, definitely was cerebral player. I'll, I'll agree with that, but I feel like both of our games are very cerebral, observational, being unpredictable. So it uh, doesn't fall far from the tree here, but you, you and me both, but uh, we know the goalie was the better one. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, no, I think, I think that may not surprising that that's kind of the theme of the podcast, right? Um, kind of hockey IQ and, and, you know, us, us growing up uh, and playing it the way that we did. I think we appreciate that and um, have a little bit of better understanding than maybe some other folks. So no, I appreciate you having me on and it's great to, great to be with you in person for the first uh, live podcast. And, um, you know, want to give a shout out to you and all the work that, that you and Dan have been doing on this podcast. It's, it's fantastic. And I think a lot of people benefit from it. So appreciate you having me on and um, hopefully we'll have to do it again soon. Absolutely. It's always nice when we can get together for uh, the first time in a long time. Cool. Appreciate it, Greg. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. So before we let you go, though, we'd like to remind you to please like our podcast, subscribe to it, give us a follow uh, and share this with all the hockey people in your life. We really appreciate uh, growing this community, this podcast. Um, Remember, we also have a newsletter, the Hockey IQ newsletter as well. Really excited to continue to grow this. So please help us grow this further by liking, subscribing, following, and sharing uh, with everyone. So appreciate you all. Take care. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.